All right. Well, if you happen to have been here a couple weeks ago and recall my sermon, we, I preached a little sermon on the family, right, and how husbands treat their wives are supposed to treat their wives according to Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians and how children relate in that family unit. And, and those are very applicable information for the lives we live right now. But if you keep going in Ephesians, it comes to also some information that's very informative, very applicable to our lives, although we just don't seem to talk about it as much. You know, with the recent in, uh, invasion of the Ukraine by Russian forces... Um, we've, we've had these pictures now, renewed pictures in our mind of what war looks like, of, of troops being mobilized, of missiles hitting buildings, of civilians running for cover. And we've seen the destruction of war. It's been right in front of our eyes. There's just no peace right now over in the Ukraine. So as we've said, for sure, let's keep our brothers and sisters in the Lord in our prayers who are living there in the Ukraine. But but here in the United States, as, as we live our Christian lives, we're not at peace either, right? In reality, there's a war occurring every day all around us in the spiritual realm. And this is not a visible war, one that's right in front of us that we can see. But rather, this is an invisible war. And it's fought against an invisible arch enemy who has an invisible army and they use invisible weapons, and they seek to wage war against us every day. This warfare, we don't see it like we see the stuff going on in the Ukraine, but it's there. It's a reality. This conflict between God and Satan, right? This conflict between truth and lies, heaven and hell, good, evil. It's there. And in this, in this warfare, um, you know, there are no casual observers. We, we, we're, there's no Switzerland to run to. There's no area of neutrality, right? It's there and it affects us all. And people's, as we just mentioned in our prayer time, it's real and people's eternal destinies are at stake. So it's serious. It's something we should definitely take serious. And because it involves the invisible, something we see, we cannot see, people for a long time, for centuries, have wondered, does it exist, right? And, and even today, we might, come, we might ask ourselves, does spiritual warfare really exist today? Is it happening? Well, by way of introduction, let's take a brief moment to review just a little history. And this history is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. Okay, so in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a king of Aram, and he, he rules the Arameans, right? And he is at war with the Israelites, so he's trying to conquer Israel. And every time he comes up with this plan of how to get to the king of Israel, God tells Elisha, the prophet, his plan. And Elisha tells the king of Israel, and the king of Israel evades. And this is frustrating the king of Aram, right? So he calls in his advisors and his servants, and he thinks there's a traitor amongst them. And the servants, of course, say, oh, no, not us. We're not a traitor. And they knew what would happen. They would probably lose their life. They say, it's Elisha. Elisha is the one telling the king of Israel your plans. So the king of Aram says, well, let's just go get Elisha, as if God would not tell Elisha that plan also. But he decides he's going to go get Elisha. So he takes his armies, and he goes to the town of Dothan, and he surrounds Elisha. He surrounds Elisha's servant, who's with Elisha, and during the night, and then the servant wakes up in the morning, gets up to maybe prepare some coffee or some breakfast and looks out and sees they're surrounded by this army and kind of says, uh-oh, this is not good, goes and wakes up Elisha. Elisha, we have problems. And do you know 
Or do you remember how Elisha responded? Elisha says in 2 Kings chapter 6, he says this, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And as the story progresses, progresses, Elisha asked the Lord to open up his servant's eyes. You see, Elisha knew something his servant did not. Elisha knew that there's a spiritual battle every bit as real as a physical battle. Elisha knew there's a spiritual world every bit as real as the physical world. So he prays to God to open up his servant's eyes. And, of course, what God does. And this is what they see. Right? They look up to the hillside, to the mountainside. And they see chariots of fire. They see chariots of fire, symbols of war, symbols of power. And Elisha knew. He knew they were there to support him and help him. And sure enough, sure enough, Elisha prayed to God and God blinded the eyes of the Arameans. And Elisha escaped. Hmm. Another Old Testament passage that's very interesting. Found, Found in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel had a vision. And this vision troubled Daniel. Matter of fact, it says in chapter 10 that he was in mourning. He was, he was upset by this dream. He was fasting for 21 days. It bothered him, right? And while he was in a deep sleep one day, he felt like a hand, he felt like a hand was shaking him. So he wakes up and, and he hears this voice, and this voice says, stand up. And then this is what we read. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now that's an interesting passage. I mean, there's much... That we don't know, but what is revealed to us is for the beginning of Daniel's prayers, that's 21 days, God dispatches an angel to go and answer Daniel's prayer, but there's some sort of, he's, he's resisted by some evil spirit, and there's some conflict going on. What that looks like, I, I don't know, my guess is as good as yours, but there's some conflict going on in heaven for, or up in the sky in the heavens for 21 days, right? Something's happening. And this angel has to be strong, right? I mean, he's from the Lord. Right? He's got to be strong. Uh, don't know if he looks like Fabio here, but he's, he's strong. But yet, but yet he's, he's resisted, and he has to call on Michael. Or Michael, one of the archangel Michael comes and helps him, and together, together they defeat their enemy. So, it's definitely going on in the Old Testament. What about, the, what about when Jesus was on earth? Well, we read many instances and stories when Jesus was on earth, he came across evil spirits, and he had to deal with the spiritual realm. And simply by the power of his word, the power of, of Jesus, our creator, he sent them where they needed to go, where they belonged. In one case, remember, he sent them into a herd of pigs. So they were around when Jesus was walking the faces of the earth. And now, in Ephesians... 30 years after Jesus walked on earth, 30 years after his resurrection, Paul writes this to the Ephesians. And there's no doubt that Paul, if he was writing a letter to us, there's no doubt he would be giving us the same message. We're post-resurrection too. He says, be strong in the Lord because there is still supernatural spiritual warfare happening all around you. So 
The question for us today is, how are we to respond in the midst of this warfare? And this is why I feel like this chapter 6 of Ephesians is so informative, right? Because last week, or a couple weeks ago, whenever that was, we talked about the family, super applicable to our lives. Now, super applicable to our lives. Every bit is important to that when we're talking about this spiritual warfare that's all around us. He's addressed it to the whole church in Ephesus, not just to a Rick or a Mark or, or, a, or a preacher or a pastor or a, a spiritual leader in a church. He addressed it to the Sunday school teachers, the praise team members, those of us who are sitting here today. He addresses this message to all of us. So let's apply it to our lives. And let's be encouraged this morning on how to fortify our faith, not sound retreat, but hold our ground and live victoriously in Jesus in the backdrop of all this going on. So let's jump into the passage this morning and let's talk about this invisible reality that's going on all around us. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. As Paul says, finally... It's like, okay, he's bringing us to a close. This is the last chapter in Ephesians. He's bringing us to a close. Like everything that's come before this, he brings it to close. And he says, finally. And he's got one more major point of emphasis. And this is what we're, our subject matter for the day. This is what he wants to address as his last big point. So he starts off and says, finally. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, if you read that first sentence, chapter, or verse 10, you would think, a little redundant there. Yes, it's redundant, strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But that's because he has to emphasize that for us. This is, this is critical that we get this, that we're strong in the Lord. And the reason is, is because in this warfare, we find ourselves, it's really no match for one of us individually, right? It's greater than any one of us. It's, this is far beyond our strength and ability to successfully wage this war. It's really not a fair fight That's what it comes down to. This enemy is so much stronger than we are, which is why we cannot forget that to win this war, we have to be strong in the Lord. And this is a constant theme in Ephesians as you maybe go back and read that this week. This concept of positionally for so many things, we have to be in the Lord. Let me just read a few for you. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance. In, our hope is in Christ. We are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. We're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Christ, we're brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, it's no different. It's this reality going on around us. We have to be strong in the Lord. Our position must be in the strength of the Lord. It's not about us. It's not about our strength. You know, for, for years, Scott and I did P90X in his basement. And we started off loving it. We grew to hate it. But, but more than anything, it was fellowship. You know, we liked that. Um, then Olivia talked to me into going trying CrossFit. So now I've been doing CrossFit with her, right? But I tell you what, there's not one bench press that Scott and I did. There's not one squat in CrossFit that I do that can prepare me for this battle, right? This is not a physical battle that we're fighting against. No, this is a, a spiritual battle. The physical stuff just, just won't work. Rather, we have to be made strong in Christ. We've got to have his strength imparted to us. Now, in the strength of his might, that's a lot of strength. Think about that. 
Being strong in the Lord, that's the strength of the creator, the God Almighty, the strength of the universe here inside of us. And Paul, Paul gets this reality, I think, more than, more than I do for sure and probably more than you. Because remember, Paul wrote in Philippians 4.13 that we all know this. Paul wrote, I can do all things through him that strengthens me. We need to constantly rely on that, but maybe sometimes we don't. Paul, this was a reality for Paul. He could do all things through Christ. So this is a battle that we're not going to win unless we're strong in the Lord. And that's key to this passage. Maybe get out a highlighter or circle it or something, but that's key to this passage. You know, I, I don't know a lot about the spiritual world, right? I don't know a lot about that. But I know this. If it's me against them, I lose. I do know that. Me being strong in the Lord, I win, right? And that's the key here. So what should our battle plan be? Who is the enemy and what are his tactics? Let's jump on to verse 11. So put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This is our battle plan. Put on the full armor of God as Jake so adequately described this morning. Right, that's our battle plan. Paul, Paul wrote this letter in Ephesians around 62 AD from a prison cell in Rome where he also wrote a couple other of his letters. And while he was there in that prison cell, he was chained to a guard, and it was the most elite unit of the Roman soldiers, the elite guard unit that guarded Paul day and night. So you can almost see what he's going through as he's writing this to teach us about this invisible warfare going on about the armor of God. He's, he's chained a, a soldier. He might look up and he might see a soldier come in and adjust his belt and he might maybe adjust his sword and take off his helmet and put it down. And the Holy Spirit uses that to paint a picture for us of how we are to win this war and what we must do to put on the armor of God. This is how we're strong in the Lord. And here's another Maybe your second little circle today, your second star point. Here's the next huge application point, right? Besides being strong in the Lord, it says put on the armor of God. This is our responsibility to do it, right? Either put on the armor or don't put it on. You're going to be wearing armor or you're not. Seems pretty simple to me, right? Put on the armor of God. You're going to be protected or you're not going to be protected. But it's our church, our choice to put on the armor of God, so that we stand firm against these schemes of the devil. And standing firm, as we just read, it just implies, as you can imagine, not retreating, not, not going backwards, but standing firm, drawing the line, holding the hill. Christ has got us to this point. The victory is ours in Christ. Now stand firm against these strategies and these schemes. So let me ask you this question. When you see the schemes of the devil, what do you, what do you think in your brain when you hear schemes, the word schemes? I kind of think of, you know, how deceitful he is, how cunning he is, the, the strategies he might use to, to attack us believers. You know, the best analogy I could think of comes from the sports world. So if you don't like sports, I apologize for this. But but you know that coaches often, at least at the high-ranking levels, maybe at all levels, I'm not quite for sure, but at least way up here, they watch film of the opposition. They will take time to study their opponent. And in that film-watching time, they'll look for weaknesses, won't they? And if they find a weakness, boy, that's where they're going to target the strategy or scheme to get to that opponent of the weakness. And I feel like this is what the devil is doing constantly to each one of us. I think he knows each one of our weaknesses, 
what we need to do is we need to realize those also so we can make sure that we combat him in some way. You know, as he, as he studies us, let's just take a brief moment this morning to make sure we know who our arch enemy is and who we're fighting against. We don't do this too often. Look at these, because there's really not a whole lot of passages in the Bible that really talk about his origin or about how he came to be and stuff like that. But let's look at a couple today, just so we have in our mind who we're battling against in this spiritual warfare. The first one we read is in Isaiah 12 through 14. We read this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And God said, uh, no, you don't, right? In Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17, we read this. You were the anointed cherub. That's an angel, anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, you covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was haughty because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I threw you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So from those two passages, we can conclude that Satan was once a special, high-ranking angel created by God. He created by God. He was the anointed cherub that covers. He had close proximity to the throne of God. However, his pride, his pride got in the way. And as we just read, he was cast out of heaven. Now, in Revelation 12, 4, we get a picture that a third of the angels were cast out of heaven with him. In Revelation 12, 4, think about that for a minute. Here we have angels in the presence of God where we want to be, where we look forward to being someday for all eternity, soaking in his goodness, worshiping him, his, observing his glory and his majesty. They're there witnessing that. And this guy is so cunning that he convinces a third of them to rebel against God and follow him. Hmm. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. If you think about it, that is a supernatural power of deception. He's able to cause the world that we live in to think that black is white and white is black. He's able to cause us to think that up is down and down is up. He's able to cause us to think that male is female and female is male. Right? If it not... If it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know, some of us might be duped into some of that thinking as well. So Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Without it, you won't be able to stand firm. You're going to be pushed around pretty easily by a pretty powerful supernatural foe, right? So remember, and remember, I mean, it's, we need to also be very clear and remember this, that he's no match for God, our creator, right? He's absolutely zero match for him, but for us, Weak-minded little humans on earth, you know, 
pretty powerful, pretty powerful enemy. His name reveals a lot about him. The, de- the word devil means slanderer or accuser. Satan means adversary. He's God's enemy. He's our enemy. He's called in the Bible the God of this world with a small g, or he's called the prince of this world with a small p. Right? He's called the tempter. He, he tempts us in so many ways through influencing our mind, through situations around us, through people around us, whatever. He, he tempts us to sin. He tempted Jesus. Right? By, remember, by twisting scripture. He's a murderer. In Job chapter 1, he caused Job's house to fall on Job's family, and he killed them all. He's a murderer. He's a liar. In fact, he's the father of lies. He took the form of a serpent in the garden, and he deceived Eve. He's a liar. Peter tells us he goes about like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. He's on the prowl. He's looking for people who don't have on the armor of God. Well, that's what we can glean from Scripture a little bit about our arch enemy in this very real but invisible war going on around us. But what, what are his schemes? They mentioned the schemes of the devil. Well, one is that he likes to blind the minds of unbelievers. Countless people right now on our globe, on our earth, do not believe in the lordship of Christ. They do not believe in his divinity. They do not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. They do not believe in that fact, God's eternal plan of salvation for his creation. The devil's blinded their minds. We get this in 2 Corinthians 4.4, where Paul, again, writes, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Another scheme he likes to do is he likes to snatch God's word from you. Right? Maybe, he's, maybe he's convinced people in church all across the country right now to stay out really late last night. So now they're having a hard time focusing on the sermon. Or, or now he, or he, he just loves it when God's word will go in one ear and just right out the other. He loves that. Then he's winning, right? He attacks the word of God. And Jesus told us this in Matthew 13, 18 through 19. Jesus says, listen then, listen then to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word... Of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. He knows how powerful the word of God is. And he's going to work behind the scenes in so many different ways and distractions to try to keep it from us in one way. And the next scheme is all too real for everybody in this room. It's all too real for me and it's all too real for you. It's very personal. Very personal. It can be found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 26, Paul pleads to them, as he would to us, he says, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. He sets traps for us to snare and ensnare us. You know, I, I, Tina and I, a couple, I don't know, it's been more than a couple years, a while ago, bought a house in Springfield to flip. At the time, it seemed like a great idea, but it really wasn't a good idea. Uh, so after we're working on it for a couple weeks, we uncover that there's a family, if not families plural, if not a whole community of raccoons living up in the attic of that house. So, so we, would, we would work, do different things. At night, I'd set a trap, leave. The next morning, I'd come back, there'd be a coon in there. I'd have to go release him in the country somewhere. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. I bet I caught eight to nine to ten raccoons that were living in that attic and and set them free. Well, guess what? You're a raccoon. 
I'm a raccoon. Okay? Satan is constantly setting these traps for us. And they revolve around what I talked about earlier, our weaknesses. He knows them. I mean, think about a time in your life when you're battling something, you're overcoming something, a weakness, and, and just at the moment where victory is about there, there's that carrot again. You're tempting us, tempting us to stray. He's a deceiver. He's a tempter. This is one of his schemes. He wants to trap us and ensnare us. So this is our charge this morning, just to be aware of what's going on around us. So, to, so next week we can dig into that armor a little bit more and, and see how we're going we're gonna to fight this. But we have to realize first and foremost that this is real, invisible, but really going on. And a soldier is as, only as, as good as his equipment. Without the right equipment, he's extremely, extremely vulnerable to the enemy's attack. So let's read on. And let's see the nature of this conflict. We find that in verse 12, 6, 12. We read where Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here he describes for us the nature of this, of this conflict. And he says it's a struggle. And remember, he says, for our struggle. This is all of us together, combined. Um, the word struggle here is the Greek word for wrestling. So if they were to describe two people wrestling to where one guy would physically try to overcome another guy and pin him to the ground, this is the Greek word they would use, the one that Paul uses here for struggle. And it grew to evolve to mean, you know, kind of hand-to-hand combat, more in a battlefield where two groups are coming together and they have to fight and two soldiers are fighting hand-to-hand and one is going to win and one is going to die. That's what this word struggle means. So Paul says to us that this is our struggle. He's addressing it to us all. This is our fight until the death or until Christ returns. But this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be fighting. And Paul is in a prison cell, as I mentioned earlier. So he's, he's like on the front lines. We know what the apostle Paul did. I mean, he's going to be a, a target. He's on the front lines of this warfare that he's writing to us about, targeted by Satan. But again, he says to little old Mark and little old you, you know, this is for all of us. He, we all have to battle this together. So he reinforces that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So think about that for a minute. He, Paul, as I just mentioned, is, is in jail, chained to a Roman guard. And, but he says, hey, our enemy is not Caesar, like flesh and blood Caesar. He says our enemy is people in the invisible, invisible forces behind Caesar. You know, Caesar soon is going to persecute Christians even more and throw them in the Colosseum and have them fight against lions and other animals. And many of them lose their lives. But still, Paul is saying, that's flesh and blood stuff. Really, our war is in the spiritual realms. The forces behind flesh and blood against them. And you know what? They're mad. They're doomed. They've lost. And they know it. They're like an enemy that's been defeated but just won't quit shooting. But they've lost. And that's why I think sometimes our lives, we struggle a little bit. It's because they've lost but they won't give up. In fact, our enemy won't give up, but we have a whole host of enemies that won't give up that we just read about. And they hate us. They won't give up because God loves us so much. They know it. God loves us, and they're in war with him, so they're going to attack us. 
The good news, the good news is that we can stand firm in this armor. We don't have to retreat against these relentless attacks if we put on the armor of God. So let's look at our final verse, 613. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. This is just a good verse to close on for the day. And then, as I mentioned earlier, detail the specific pieces of armor next week and why they're so important. The promise is here is that therefore, which means because of everything I just wrote, therefore, because we know this is happening, therefore, put on the armor. It's going to protect us, right? This is good news. This is great news. Christ has won this war, right? Amen. Satan is defeated. He knows it. We're on the winning side. That's the beauty of this. If we take advantage of the provision that God has made for us, then we get to share in this victory. And these little struggles, they will happen along the way. The enemy is lost, like I said, but boy, look around our world. I mean, it's nonstop effort on his part to drag people down with him. He's lost, but he's not going to drag us down. He can't. He's not going to drag us down, right? Because we're going to stand firm in the armor of God. And I hope, if nothing else, you caught a couple of those main points this morning, and I hope you're going to catch this main point also, that in this battle that we're fighting, we don't even have to win. <laughs> it's already been won. We don't, even have to, we don't have to defeat the enemy. He's been defeated. We just have to stand firm in our relationship with Christ and have him strengthen us. We're going to experience some effects of the war, pain and hardship, but Satan can never rob us of this victory. Never. Christ is the victor. Amen. So all glory and honor goes to Christ, right? All, all glory and honor goes to Jesus. He saved us. He's reconciled us back to God the Father. He's defeated the enemy. He's got no real power over us. He's going to try, but we're going to fight him with the armor of God while we're walking on this earth. So let's just resolve this week. Maybe to read this passage. Maybe read the verse, couple verses before it even, lead into it. Let's resolve to study the armor of God. Let's come back next week and really go through it and see how we can apply it to our lives. Let's be aware of what's happening as we turn on the news, right? As we see things in our lives. Let's be aware of what's happening. Let's just draw nearer to Christ this week. He is our strength. How beautiful is that? Let's, let's sing together today, uh, Onward Christian Soldiers. It's a very kind of appropriate hymn as we talk about this subject of spiritual warfare. Let's sing together verses 1, 2, and 4.